Turning Point Coaching and Consulting presents Kairos Conversations, Connecting with Quality, the podcast. Kairos is Greek for the right time, the right season, and the right opportunity. This podcast features healthcare quality professionals who share their journeys, their advice, their struggles, how they made that transition into a new and exciting role. My heart's desire is that you find this podcast to be inspirational to you as you make your own journey. Don't forget to share this podcast with your colleagues and friends and rate us on whichever podcast platform you listen to. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today, I have my next guest, Cody Quinlan. Thank you for joining me today, Cody. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, speak on quality in healthcare. So um, I'm ready to get started. Awesome. So can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah. So I'm a regional director of quality within the home health space. What that involves is pretty much I overlook specific quality measures related to home health um, for different agencies within the region and try to identify trends or any issues that arise uh, with those specific measures and then address them accordingly. Awesome. So what is your clinical background, Cody, and how did you get to this point in your career? Yeah, so my clinical background is a little bit, you know, mixed I do have some experience as an EMT, a farm tech. Um, I've worked in the ER, but my primary clinical role has been that of a physical therapist. That is so interesting. I didn't know you were EMT and PharmD. So can you talk a little bit about how you made, before we even get to the quality part, how did you (laughs) transition from, how did you make that transition to physical therapy? So, yeah, it was a farm tech, uh, so not fully PharmD, but um before that EMT, it just, you know, everyone when you're in college or before you even get to college, you might have a mindset of you want to do one thing and you know you pivot and you end up doing something else. And um, that was kind of the process there. I thought I was going into med school. So I was very focused on, you know, ER uh, work, uh, EMT work, pharmacy work, things that built up that med school portfolio. Once I got to the ER scribe part, where I was in the ER one-on-one with doctors working, seeing their day-to-day, the ins and outs, the behind the scenes, um, that really changed my mindset. And I saw a lot of physicians watching their kids' baseball game on their tablet, you know, uh, situations like that, that made me rethink my path forward in healthcare. Wow, that is just heartbreaking right there that they had to choose between their patient and their family. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a, uh, something that happens in healthcare too often and probably contributes to, um, a deterioration of patient care as well. So how have you, how long have you been a physical therapist now? It's coming up on about three years. So not, not too long. (laughs) Awesome. So relatively short period of time as a physical therapist, what prompted the change into a healthcare quality role? Yeah, great question, especially since I haven't been in the field as a PT for so long before making the transition. You know, really the first thing that struck me once I got my footing in the field was lack of upward mobility. Mm -hmm. Um, I think something that's driven me throughout my life has been looking for that next mountain to climb. Uh, 
When I finally got my degree, I passed the MPTE, I started working, I realized there's no next mountain from here. You know, there's continuing education. Sure, you can get board board certified, but as far as career advancement, you're very limited. And that drove me to start looking into other other facets of healthcare and seeing, you know, where could my skills transition, where might I fit best and really enjoy the work I do. Awesome. So can you talk a little bit about the path from when you made the decision to, you know, I I need something else to work towards, I need something else to do to make impact to, to actually landing the job? What did that path look like? Yeah, so it started off with, I think, really going down the the journey of realizing this is not where I want to end. And once I had made that decision, I reached out to my office director and I just talked with her about, you know, hey, is there anything around the office I can do that's related to quality? Um, and I started reaching out to individuals on LinkedIn, uh, yourself included, that actually, uh, you know, gave some great insight into the quality world, what I might need to do what kind of certifications I should look for, um, all that kind of stuff. I just built research up until I was sure that quality was where I wanted to go versus, you know, marketing in healthcare, you know, being a care transition coordinator or something like that, or, you know, being on the tech side. There's so many, so many non-clinical roles you can go into. Mm -hmm. So once you talk to your your leader about doing something different to the time that you actually landed the role. How long was that? Because I know a lot of people want to know in terms of timeframes. For me, that was about probably eight to 10 months. And a big reason of that was, you know, you want to be prepared and you want to be sure before you make a move, I think, especially a move that takes you out of a clinical role. And I didn't want to go into a non-clinical role that I wasn't going to feel confident about and then end up back where I started. So a lot of that timeline might have been on me and myself because I took a lot of time to prepare and maybe over-prepare because I think we get in this mindset of we don't have a good view of ourselves, at least <laughs> that could be the case for myself, on our own capabilities and how others view our capabilities. So I was in this process of upskilling because I felt like maybe I needed to overcome some barriers that I perceived in myself. Oh, that's so good because that was my next question. So what what barriers did you encounter, even if they were <laughs> personal barriers? Yeah. Yeah. We all have our unique barriers. For me, being on the younger side, I will say that poses a barrier as well as being a therapist. Now, other people might hear this and think, well, those aren't barriers, you know, and that comes to how do you view certain things about yourself, you know, uh, kind of an imposter syndrome type situation where everyone around you is an RN with 20 years of experience. How do you speak on that level? How do you validate your skill set despite the lack of experience? So that was probably the biggest barrier for me to overcome. I'm so glad you shared that and the fact that you overprepared. So you knew that about yourself. You knew that you were seeing, you know, all of these other people with all of this experience and this different background. And so you took the time to 
make sure you were ready for the move so that when you did, you were successful in it. Yeah, absolutely. So what advice would you give someone who wanted to follow along in your footsteps or maybe take a similar path? Yeah. So the advice I have is look at your your skills, look at what you view as things that might be those barriers, things that might be advantages. You know, a good suggestion is just drawing a table out. You know, on the left-hand side, you can put down those barriers. On the right-hand side, you can talk about how you can change those barriers into an advantage. You know, you might say you're a therapist. That might be a barrier. But how can you twist it, so to speak, into an advantage? You might be young. How can you twist that into an advantage? You might be older. How do you twist that into an advantage? So all these barriers, I think my advice is just learn how to view those as advantages and not necessarily barriers. Once I was able to do that, I think in an interview, you can really talk about those things as advantages. I'm on a team with primarily RNs. Therapy, which I thought was a barrier, has really come into play as an advantage in my current position. Um, I think differently. I have a unique perspective on things. I go through the process uh, different than others do. And don't discount how valuable that could be to a company. I love that. So what clinical skills did you highlight, uh, maybe in your application or your interview, that you feel like were directly transferable to this role? So I think uh, as therapists, we have some great skills to offer. And some of those are our assessment skills. I think in quality, we use those assessment skills a lot. I mean, a lot. You're looking at data, you're assessing it. You're, you're assessing for variance. You're assessing for improvement. You're assessing for, you know, issues and things that might be preventing the improvement. So I think our ability to assess and determine a root cause is a, a direct correlation to the quality world. You know, and even our the critical thinking skills, you know, all those skills that you just learn in school, how to really critically think through a problem, you know, top three possible diagnosis. How do you rule them in? How do you rule them out? That type of thought process, uh, I believe, transitions pretty, pretty well to the quality world. Yeah. And I have a question that kind of just came to mind um, because you and correct me if I'm wrong, Cody, but you transitioned to a quality role in the company you were already in, correct? That's right. So I, you could say that was a little bit of an advantage. Um, <laughs> you know, it's easy to say like, you got lucky is is a common phrase that gets thrown around that I hear a lot. Oh, wow, you're so lucky. Or you even tell yourself, you tell yourself, I'm so lucky. Uh, and that might not be the case. What could really have happened is, you prepared and you were so prepared that when the opportunity presents itself, you were able to take full advantage of it. And I think that's what happened in my situation. Um, I was lucky in, in the sense that it was within my own company. So I, I got a recommendation from my office director that really helped. So yeah, I mean, anywhere you can get your foot in the door. Yeah, and I was actually going to approach that from a different side, Cody, because what I hear a lot from my audience and from what people that reach out to me directly 
is they feel like they cannot move up in their own company because their company Mm. is already too familiar with them or the roles are reserved for nurses or they can't, they don't feel like their leadership views them as anything other than the clinician who makes the, the money and works with the patients. So what do you think contributed to your transition the most? And especially since you were able to do that within your own company. That's a tough question. And I like that take on it because you can get put in a box by those around you. And and once you're viewed as a clinician and this is what you know and this is what you do, it's hard to uh, convince others that you can do something different and do it at a high level. So for me, at, at my employer, I think the biggest thing was that recommendation from the office director, but also you know, taking the initiative in your current role to demonstrate that you do have these other capabilities. If you can do that, then you almost prove to them that you're more than just that clinician and they, they'll start to view you as more. So I was working on improving our HCAP scores with changes in our process or implementing new things in the office. I was trying to work on reducing our, our ACH, our acute care hospitalization rates by the same thing looking at problems in the office and the processes and the things we do. Can we make tweaks to it? Can we get improvement? And now people start to view you as maybe you're not just a clinician. Maybe you have something else to offer. And then you combine that with a a few little certifications. And now you have a very strong case for, I am more than just that clinician. Yeah. And speaking of certifications, did you get any certifications that helps you land the role? I did. Help me get the role is an interesting question because I don't know if they helped me get the role, but um, I did get extra certifications. I um, started off with a Six Sigma green belt, which um, if anyone's listening that isn't familiar with it, it's a, a lean process certification. I, I recommend it highly. It might not help you get a role but it's definitely a super valuable certification to have as far as like process improvement, which just ties into quality really well. Then I followed that up with my CPHQ, probably one of the more recognized certifications. And then to add kind of like a, a little teaspoon of home health specialty, so to speak, I got my COSC, which is just a OASIS certification for clinicians. Okay, and did you have all three of those before you apply to the role? I, ha- I had the um, Six Sigma Green Belt. I had the CPHQ. And um, when I was applying for the role, I saw that it said that you would be required to get your COSC within a certain number of months after hire. So when I saw that, I just went for it. And I wanted to make sure I got the test results back before my uh, second interview, which luckily the timeline you know, played out for me. So I was able to go into that interview um, bringing that with me. So that's awesome. Do you feel like those three certifications or the, let me say the knowledge that you gain from those certifications help you in your role currently? They do. Definitely. They help me in my role. I think there's more potential in the education from those certifications that I can't fully utilize in my current role, but that's something I'm working towards. Okay. Very cool. As a fellow clinician and clinician supporter, I am always on the lookout for resources that will help you in your career journey. 
I recently joined as a founding member to a community called Humans in Healthcare, led by the fabulous Amy Story, who is also my friend. And I'm sharing with you because you should consider joining too. If you don't know who Amy's story is, I would recommend checking out episode 12 of this podcast. So Humans in Healthcare is a unique and growing community of diverse clinicians from different backgrounds who are using their gifts, talents, and abilities to be the change that we want to see. It's a space for us to find community, creativity, and most of all, humanity. You are more than a credential. You are a human who is allowed to grow, change, and evolve. And this community really, really supports that. So a few things that I really like about the community. I like the genuine discussion and collaboration. It is a safe space. It's a place where we can have conversations. There's no drama. We also have regular office hours and discussion topics so you can get your questions answered around careers, leadership, the unique challenges of clinician creators. You can participate in a dedicated space for networking and peer support. There's also a private job board for non-clinical roles who are hiring clinicians. This is just a really genuine and special place, a safe place. And so I hope that you'll consider joining. I'll put the link in the show notes section. Talk soon. All right. So what was your defining point? And this is a question that I ask all of my guests. Um, but what was your defining point? It was uh, it was getting the interviews, more the second and third round interview for me. The first round, it's uh, the recruiter usually. And so you never know, especially being an internal applicant, if that initial interview is uh, focused on just because you're in the company, they kind of feel obligated to give you that interview. So when I got to that second, third round with the AVP and the VP of quality, I really knew that they were taking me seriously and that I might have a shot. So I started getting excited about it. And um, that was my defining point. I said, you know, from here forward, my life's going to be pretty different. And as a side note to that question, what do you think really helped with the interview process because I do, or there are a lot of people who either struggle to get that first interview or never get past the recruiter. So what do you think really helped you? So as far as getting past the recruiter, I think that's where if you really know your boss, your current, for your current role, I think that recommendation gets you at least past the recruiter. If you're applying internally, if if this is a, a different company than your current employer, then, you know, to get past that recruiter, you have to kind of, I hate to say it this way, but play a game. They, they're they looking for specific answers. Uh, do a little bit of research, see what the, you know, correct answers might be. And that's what you give the recruiter, honestly. Once you move to that second, third interview, that's where you give the real answers because now you're talking to the person who might be your your future supervisor. You're talking to the person that runs the department. So then you can give um, some honest answers. And I'm always honest in my interviews. And so far, that's served me well. Um, I don't try to be who I'm not. And um, that goes a long ways. I love that you said that, Cody, because I think people 
feel like they have to put on some sort of air. But my perspective is if I have to be someone different, then that's probably not the employer I want anyway, because it's not going to last very long. Yeah, absolutely. Like you want this to be a good fit for you. You want this to be a good fit for them. And, and you only know that by you showing, being a little bit more vulnerable in that interview process. And this will sound weird, but the best interviews are the ones where you don't talk the most. Um, get the other person talking. Get get the person on the other side or of the phone line or the Teams call or the in-person interview. Get them to talk. If if they're talking, chances are you're doing great in that interview. <laughs> I love that you said that because that is so true. I find that to be true because the best interviews are the one that's conversational and the ones that they're telling me about the organization or the role or whatever. But when you have that silence, when they're waiting for you to do all the talking, mm-hmm. it is a different interview. So it's very interesting that you said that. Yeah. If you, you know, I've been reading How to Win Friends and Influence People, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book. Um, I'm not. Who Who's the author? Or do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, okay. it's uh, Dale uh, Carne- Carnegie. Okay. I'm saying his name right. Um, he's like uh, very well known for communication and people skills and and such and leadership. And so, you know, some of the most interesting concepts in that book is around conversation and letting the other person do the talking, listening is communication. So the better listener you are, the better communicator you are. Um, You know, don't (laughs) other things in that book too, that are applicable to life and interviews and, and all kinds of things like, you know, the best way to win an argument is don't have one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's a great book if anyone's interested in kind of upskilling their people skills and uh, very useful. I would do interviews. I would do a whole bunch of stuff differently having now gotten into the, into this book. All right. Tell us the name of the book again, and I'm going to put it in the show notes for our audience. It's uh, how to win friends and influence people. Okay, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Yep. All right, any additional thoughts you want to share with the audience that would help them? Yeah, yeah, I've got some thoughts. So I've been like, you know, in a few Facebook groups, some LinkedIn groups and stuff, and I've actually had some one-offs as far as like people reaching out or um, asking about getting into non-clinical roles. It's a big question in the therapy world, especially. And the the common thing I see is when they come for help, it's more that everyone is just looking for a way out, but no one has a plan. No one has an end goal. No one has direction on the way out. So if there's one main takeaway I can give, it's, it's do your research. There are so many facets of non-clinical roles that I think you have to really refine what you want and where you want to go before you can discover the path to get there. You can't simply ask someone in quality, for example, how'd you get that that non-clinical role? I want one. And it's like, well, are you into quality? No, not really. I just don't want to be a clinician anymore. Well, maybe you would prefer to be in marketing. Maybe you'd prefer to be in on the finance side or the referral side, or, you know, there's so many different places to go. Oh my gosh. I, I'm over here just, (laughs) I'm I'm so glad you said that because I, I say that all the time. 
I think that the burnout rate of clinicians is is at an all-time high. And like you said, people just want out without a plan at the end, without an end game. And so I love how you said, really take that time to figure out, do the research, figure out what's out there, what you would like to do. There's different assessments out there that you could do, career assessments. There's, you know, all kind of courses that people can take, but really take that time before jumping ship because that next employer can sense if you're unfocused with no end game. Yeah, exactly. And your research into where you want to go and where you want to be will be invaluable when it comes to interviews because, you know, that employer is going to sniff out if you know what you're talking about, if you know what you're getting yourself into. So doing that upfront research on where you want to be and taking that confidence that, yeah, this is this is where I want to be. And if it's not you, it'll be them. And, and the employer will sense that and, you know, might give you a shot because of that. Yeah. And so it may take more time up front before you actually start refining your resume and applying for jobs. But that time is time well spent. Yes. Yes. Couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I have kind of a an off topic, but this is coming to my mind now is, you know, maybe having a discussion on why we're all trying to get out. That's a that's a big question, too. Yes. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that. So why are why, why did you want out? Well, outside of the lack of upward mobility as a therapist, I didn't feel like I had an impact. And I went through a lot of school to be a PT, a lot of tough times to get there. And I thought I would have this big impact on people's lives. And when I didn't see that, I, you know, you see it here and there, but I didn't see it in the way I thought I would. And so I lost a bit of drive. And that's probably what initially had me looking for other things as well. And, um, you know, because I want it to be impactful. We all want to feel like we're making an impact, that we're changing lives, that we're doing something meaningful. And I think as I got more into quality, I realized that this might be it. This might be an opportunity where you have the ability to impact at a larger scale. If I decrease the acute care hospitalization rates for a care center, how many patients am I keeping out of the hospital then? Right. So it's like when you view it like that, those are some big impacts in healthcare. And as you continue to move up, your impact gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. And just to circle back a little bit, and this may be getting a little deep, but why do you feel that you and maybe other clinicians too, because I felt the same way, why do you feel that we don't think that there's impact in the work that we were doing at the bedside? I think because we see it. I think we we really see the lack of impact. And I think that gets to us. I think the losses hurt more than the wins. Every time you have a patient that doesn't perform, doesn't excel, meet their goals, I think that hurts us more than the patients that do succeed. And so, you know, we have that tendency just as human nature to dwell on the negative, focus on the negative. Um, And I think a lot of therapists are, I don't know the right word. Maybe you can help me with this. I don't want to say sensitive, but we're like in tune Uh (laughs) um, of it um, and can be emotional when it comes to our patients. So I think that's what it might be. Yeah. And it's interesting because, like I said, I, I felt the same way. I felt that I didn't have the impact that I wanted to have. And 
you know, part of it was the constraints of the system at the time when I switched to healthcare quality, I was working in acute care and it was productivity driven from the perspective of how many patients can you see per day? How many evaluations can you get to? How many discharge recommendations can you make? And so you had to see so many patients in a day in order to meet that productivity requirement that you weren't spending as much time with each patient as maybe I wanted to be able to spend with them. And some of that could have been because of the acuity and some of it was because you have to get to the next patient so that they can get their discharge plan too. And, you know, I think, like you said, as moving into healthcare quality for me was similar to your your reasoning and is that I can impact more people. If I can impact the people who are at the bedside, that I'm also impacting the patients that they see. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to the show. It would mean a lot if you would share this episode with a friend or a colleague. I would be honored to encourage them in their journey too.